best of frenemies with Dermot and Dave. With thanks to Heineken, proud sponsor of Heineken Champions Cup and official partner to UEFA Champions League. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best of Frenemies with Dermot and Dave with thanks to Heineken. This is the podcast that explores sporting rivalries throughout the years. The best sporting rivalries. The fun side of sporting rivalries. Yeah, but I was going to say the fun side has been removed from me this week because at the time of recording, my beloved Manchester United are currently with an a caretaker manager before they appoint an interim oh, manager don't before worry, they get to a final full-time manager. And I've been reminded of this by all of my frenemies <laughs> for pretty much 48 hours. So thanks, lads. Dave, if this podcast isn't released until 2023, I'm pretty sure Man United will still have a caretaker manager. <laughs> don't worry about that. No, what will happen is the, the caretaker got turned into an interim. The interim gets turned into a full-time. The full-time then gets dropped. <laughs> but then they go, well, listen, we just sacked you so you're free. Would you just stick around for a few weeks and do discover the gig for us? Look, thankfully, we're a bit more decisive than Manchester United, and we have decided on our fabulous guests this week, and we would like to introduce them to you now. Our first guest is a former track and field athlete. She won a gold medal in the 5,000 metres at the 1995 World Championships and a silver medal in the 5,000 metres at the 2000 Olympic Games. Her world record stood for more than decades. It is Sonia Sullivan. Sonia. Good. Are we good morning or good evening or where well, are we? We're just about to say to those of us watching in a video, Cork is looking smashing. We're here in November, it's nighttime, it's freezing, and look at you. Well, you look like you're in a nice blue sky behind you there. Is that your insider? Yeah. It's just a wall, Sonia, you know. Um, but look, I I'm not buying it for a minute. I've used this this old uh, Zoom trick as well, where you, you know, my neighbor has some scraggly palm tree that's barely standing. And then you just point it at the, at the palm tree and a bit of blue sky behind you. People think you're somewhere exotic. Uh, in reality, where are you, Sonia? I'm in uh, San Luis Obispo in California. California. It's, uh, Beautiful. It's, it's lovely. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I haven't I haven't been to California for a long time. I'm I'm based in Oregon at the moment in um, Portland, and it's very grey and dreary up there. Um, <laughs> well, worse, more 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 so than Ireland. It's like the I've rainy never northwest. Rain. Yeah. So you decided, you know what I'll do? I'll head to sunny SoCal and get some sunshine. <laughs> well, look, we're joined as well by a former intern, Ireland international, a world-class ice skater. Oh, yeah. And one of the best ice cream salesmen ever to come out of Ireland, Mr. Kevin Kilbane. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> How are you doing, guys? How we're, are you doing? We're great, Kev. Maybe we should explain the ice cream reference for anyone who isn't familiar with our radio show. Yeah. Um, our version of Kevin Kilbane on our radio show, um, he, we decided he should have an ice cream van Probably because it rhymes with Kilban. That's the I only reason. The only, bit. the only reason. Yeah. So, Kev, an absolute pleasure to have you on the line. Uh, you're in Canada at the moment. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's very different landscape behind me. Let me tell you. It's minus two here. It just started to snow. So we get oh, yeah. we we will have the wicked winter that's coming into us right now. Right. So yeah, very different from where Sonia. Well, She's in wine. I think it's white wine country there, Sonia, isn't it? Uh, San Luis um, Obispo. It is, yeah. I discovered that yesterday. It really is. <laughs> That's why you're wearing sunglasses. Nothing to do with the sun. You just discovered it was wine country. I get it. Uh, Kev, before we go any further, congratulations on the news that you're expecting a new arrival. Uh, I know. Um, 
yeah, uh, another girl, another girl will be on the way in early next year, probably end of April or something like that, wow. the start of May. So um, fantastic! Yeah, amazing, amazing times ahead. We're delighted, Brianna and I both. And how, how's really, Brianna uh, doing? Um, I'd love to say she's been, uh, you know, handling the pregnancy great, but it, the first, I, I, you, you guys have been in the same boat as me. So the first ten weeks, twelve weeks or so was was rough going on, or it really yeah. was. Um, but, you know, which is about 17 weeks now. The last few weeks, she's been a lot better. But, you know, up and down, very much up and down for the I'm uh, glad, Kev, you said you, you guys have been in the same boat as me and not in the same boat as Brianne because we have not been <laughs> no, yeah. carrying your children. Yeah. I just we, want to make that yeah, clear. This, this conversation is a real tightrope right now. It's like, <laughs> lads, it's been tough, you know. Uh, <laughs> I have to tiptoe. I'm walking yeah. on eggshells, but... Uh, no, we wish you both the very best luck. Congratulations. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Dave. You know, Thank you. Dave here likes to watch and, and things on YouTube and listen to his podcasts on one and a half speed oh, because, yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe he's afraid he'll die or something and he has to get in <laughs> as, as much audio as possible. But to me, Kev, it looks like you hit one and a half speed on your life. Because <laughs> you, you like went on telly, found your missus, got married, two babies, oh. and it's only been about four weeks. <laughs> I know, it seems that way at times as well, doesn't it? Yeah, two years, two years, a lot's changed. In two, two years ago, I was, I, you'd only just invented the ice cream van. That's so, right. And I'm still, remind, I'm still reminded of the ice cream van now, let me tell you. Honest, even over here in Canada, people remind me of the ice cream van. Yeah. Um, but Job yeah, it's, it's been, it, it has very much been very, it, everything's happened quickly, but um, you know, when you know, you know, don't you lads? And that's yeah. been pretty much ain't, how it's gone. We've, the truth, we've, Kevin. We've, we've had a great time and I know we've, we've had a, it's been a, a bad year uh, or 18 months or so for a lot of people, but we've, we've had a great time. It really has. And you know, things are getting better. So no complaints here. Well, look, let, let's park the joy of wine country. Let's park the joy of new baby arrivals and happy, exciting marriage times. Let's talk enemies frenemies because that's what this podcast is all about so Sonia like when you're an individual athlete as opposed to a team people are very familiar with team rivalries and we'll talk to Kev about that kind of thing in a minute as well but when you're an individual athlete is it is it more focused the 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 kind of the rivalry you can have with an equally brilliant athlete or someone you're trying to catch up on and get past eventually uh, well, it's a good thing if it is, you know, you need to build up these kind of rivalries and matches, I think, because it, it just gets people more interested and engaged in the competition, you know, and there's always kind of this, you know, who's going to win this time. So I, I think I had that from a really young age, like, and so then it just became natural. I just assumed that you would always have somebody that you would be matched up against. And, you know, you had to, I suppose, race off every time. Is it and a, they would be your sorry, like, the uh, hardest person to beat. Is it a distraction or, you know, or a hindrance? Are there times when you think I'm focusing too much on that other rival? I need to be focusing on my own game here. Uh, not at all. No, no, you never focus on it. It just, it, that's what you see on the television afterwards. You know, you don't really <laughs> think about it because you've, normally you have to line up against, you know, at least 12 other athletes. And I always thought, well, everybody's out there, you know, and they're all ready and they all think they can win this race. Um, but on the start line, but then once the gun goes off then and things settle down, then you have to be able to, ma it's, like a it's like a game of chess, you know, there's, there's all these moving pieces 
and you have to narrow it down so that there's only two moving pieces. And then I always think, well, when it becomes one on one, it's much easier than it, when it becomes one on 10. Yeah. So a kind of a, you know, sometimes you get these really slow races that are tactical and, you know, there's always a fear someone's going to fall or, you know, you're going to get boxed in or something. And it just makes it a bit more tricky mm. and a bit more risky. So, so your, uh, your gold at the World Championships, who were you? Did you have anyone in that race in particular that you were thinking, I got to beat this person this time. I got to beat her. Uh, the World Championships, no. I think that was kind of the start of a little rivalry with myself and Gabriela Zabo. But that was, she was younger than me. So she was probably more, focus on me but I think my rivalry was before that so I think in 1993 and 94 with Yvonne Murray was a much greater rivalry and for me the big one was going into the European Championships in 1994 and you know we raced each other a lot and I think I won most of the races so you're kind of you know you, you can't become complacent and assume that you're going to win again um and when I went into that race, I remember going out the morning of the race and trying to figure out how is this race going to play out. And it was either, Yvonne was either going to take the race up and it was going to be hard from the start and then it would come down to one-on-one -on -one, or it was going to be slow and tactical and then a lottery at the end. So in my mind, I was kind of, I didn't mind either of them because, you know, if I'm confident in how fast I can go at the end, but you don't want to have that risk of, not having anywhere to go. Yeah. So uh, e even though the race, it was going to be a harder thing to do for Yvonne to go hard from the start and make it a, you know, a hard race um, that I would have to commit to from lap one. At the end of the day, I kind of thought, well, as long as I go out with it, then I've got her number, you know, well, when it comes because, down to the sprint. Yeah, you're, you're kind of... You, your 200 meter splits in, in the last 400 were often like what somebody who would only run 200 meters would be delighted with. They were like, you know, mid 20 seconds, maybe late 20 seconds at worst. I mean, that's phenomenal after running the distances that you had already done in a race. Yeah, well, the thing is, you just, like the, the race was 5,000 meters. Um, 94 was 3,000 meters. So it's seven and a half laps or 12 and a half laps. But I never really counted the last lap. So then it was really only six and a half laps. So you just had to keep up for six laps. And, and then, then go. you know, they, they kind of let figure, well, the last 200 meters, that's just going to take care of itself anyway. Because I was always prepared for that. And I believed that, you know, as long as I can keep up, then I'll be fine. Um, so I suppose when all, everything's going well, then, you know, you have the confidence and the belief that you can do it. Mm. So if, if only that applied you know, to golf, where you could go... Look, I'm just going to hit my drive, but the last 200 meters look after itself. The ball's just going to go in the hole. <laughs> we'll talk to Kevin about the, maybe some of the, um, the, the, the secrecies that go on maybe in crowded penalty areas and things. But when you're running a tactical slow race and you talk about maybe somebody might fall, <laughs> is there anything that people might do in a race that might contribute to somebody might falling? <laughs> Um, well, yeah, well, like if someone is falling and I, I did get involved in a bit of a, uh, what would you call it? <laughs> Nearly a punch up <laughs> yeah. one time. It was, uh, I think it was 1997, uh, the world championships final. And, um, yeah, there was a bit of a fall and I think I grabbed somebody's number and then, 
yeah, it was a bit messy. And I ended up eighth place, I think. And this other girl, you know, she was causing all sorts of trouble. Regina Jacobs from America, you know, she was, yeah, a bit messy at the end and getting in everybody's way. Um, and, and that's, you just don't like it. But the problem is that I probably wasn't at my best that day either. Mm. So, you know, these things happen when you're not in control of things. You know, your things are out of your control and you're just grasping at straws and our numbers, you know, is the case when I was, yeah. when, when I was going to fall down, it's like, you know, you grab someone's number, or, you know, you might grab their shorts or something. <laughs> just, you, you, you do anything to just keep yourself on your feet because, you know, if you, if you fall down, then, you know, you're left for dead. You, Whereas if you kind of half fall down and you nearly bring someone with you. <laughs> you've just described you Kevin know. Kilban's defensive career <laughs> in, in one sentence. <laughs> Pull their shorts down. That'll do the job. <laughs> Kev, uh, when, look, you, famously you, you played for lots of different clubs, but I suppose one of the rivalry clubs that we would know a lot about would be Everton. Uh, and Liverpool. What what was that situation like when you go to Anfield or Liverpool come to to Everton's ground? You've got this kind of, I mean, both grounds are the atmosphere is always so high energy there anyway. Oh, I, I think it's probably it would be the standout game from my club career, the Merseyside derby. Um, I really enjoyed playing in the Northeast derby, and it, actually, my first real introduction to real thrilling derby games I would say would have been the Black Country derby which was West Brom against Wolves because mm. that was the first real time that I saw, I remember when I signed for West Brom the first day someone said to us look we've got the we've got the um, we've got Wolves in I think it was October November time a couple of months after I'd signed and said look just remember whatever happens this season beat them and I didn't really you know I, I obviously had an understanding that Wolves were, were rivals but I didn't really see how big it was. I didn't think how big it was before I signed for West Brom. And you start to realise then those games set you up. And then obviously the North East derby when I went and played Sunderland Newcastle, mm. they, they were very different from the Merseyside derby because they were two different places. You know, Wolverhampton and, and West Bromwich, different place. Newcastle, Sunderland, not in the same city. Whereas Everton, obviously Everton, uh, Liverpool, the, the Merseyside derby was right in in the middle of the city. Obviously, Stanley Park separates the two the two uh, stadiums, so the, you start to get an understanding. Everyone always said to me, or I grew up. You you guys are probably the same sort of era as me, although maybe slightly older than me, of course. But um, you know, um, what? Just who's talking? <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah, we had. I had an understanding growing up. It's the friendly derby. There's so many um, of the families uh, that would support Liverpool or Everton. You know, the everyone gets on so well at games. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mm. Honestly, I think there's there is definitely more of a bitterness from Evertonians toward Liverpool because maybe the success they've had over the last 35 years or something like that, whatever it's been, and the trophies that they've won. So. Honestly, that that was a, a real eye opener when I did sign for Everton and how big that rivalry was. And there was nobody individually. I mean, I played against Stevie Finnan, who would have been a right back at that time. Yeah. Um, was it Arbalora? I think it was. It was a, a right back at Liverpool. I think it was at that time as well. They didn't really have anyone. So Jamie Carragher as well would have been another one that would have played there. But it was more the intensity of playing that game. First time, I think my first Merseyside derby was at Anfield, and we managed to, to come away with a draw. And then the second one. I think was at, uh, at Goodison. Yeah, we we actually beat them at Goodison around Christmas time, and we had our Christmas party that night. So can you imagine going on a Christmas party <laughs> after a Merseyside derby defeat? So we we had it after a win. So it was uh, oh. so David Moyes let us go on the party that night. So it, it was it was great. But 
to 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 play in that game, yeah, honest to God, it was just it was it was amazing. It really was. The atmosphere at Anfield was great, but but more so at Goodison, I used to feel. I, I mean, I, Goodison when I used to play against Everton was one of my favourite grounds. I, I used to like Tottenham and uh, White Hart Lane, the old White Hart Lane, and Goodison Park because of maybe the nostalgic feeling that you got when you went to those stadiums. But yeah. Derby Day at Goodison Park, oh, there's nothing like it. Honest to God, there's nothing like it. When you see David Moyes' success now, how does that make you feel? And does it make sense to you having worked with him? Yeah, it absolutely does, Dermot. Yeah, because, I mean, I've, I've known David since I was 15. I, I, I had, he, when I was coming into, into the game at Preston, he was a real mentor for me. He was the captain of, of Preston North End when I was coming into the team. And he really helped me in so many different ways. You know, just, li- just little things. Obviously, professionalism. The game was absolutely changing around those times. It wasn't going out Tuesday on the booze and things like that like it used to be through the, through the 80s and, and early 90s. Arsene Wenger had started to change the game. And I had David Moyes, who was a, he was great for me. He, he really was. I couldn't speak highly enough of him. But I knew even then he was going to be a coach. He then became player coach at, at Preston for, for my first season as a pro. Um, so a teammate first and foremost, but then more so, as I said, the mentoring side of it that he gave me. And honestly, I, I'd, I'd spoken to a couple of the Man United players um, after he'd actually been sacked from Man United, not long after. And, and they, one or two of those guys said to me they hated his training, didn't like the way that he went about things. And I was, honestly, I was amazed at that when I was having that conversation, speaking to a couple of those guys. I said, honestly, I said, he'd be one of the best that I would have worked under for how he, how he used to go day to day, how he would uh, construct a plan going into the, the, the match day, you know, the attention to detail and all these little things that he used to, that he used to go about or he used to do going into matches. He, I thought he was, he, he was such a good coach. And obviously as a man, because I'd known him since I was 15, since I was a kid, I had so much respect for him as well. So I was amazed at that. So I'm delighted now he's finally getting maybe the recognition after, you know, so much stick that he'd received for such a long time uh, after leaving Man United. Because he looked at the jobs that he took. He took the um, Real Sociedad job, wasn't it? And, yeah. um, and of course, Sunderland. Sunderland was just, it, it was dead. I, I spoke to David maybe a few weeks after he took that job. And I think he realised then that he'd made a mistake in taking the job with yeah. the way that Ellis Short was running the club. So, it's taken him a long time to get over that Man United, um, you know, the, the, the time he had at Man United. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. He, he, honestly, personally for me, I said he's, he's probably the best club coach I would have worked under, a manager I worked under. But I, I, I can't understand how anyone could have any criticism of him on the training ground as a player because everything he did was for the players. Nothing, nothing he did was for anybody else apart from the players. And he used to fall out with people around the, the football club because a lot felt the players were getting too much, which may be right, but he was always on the player's side. And I, honestly, he was he was fantastic for me, but fantastic for so many other different players as well. Yeah, well, like you said, great to see him doing so well at West Ham now, in fairness. Uh, Sonia, when you go back to athletics in general, was there any other rivalry that maybe you watched from afar? I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of the, the ones that we would have been very familiar with growing up would have been, you know, Carl Lewis and Michael Johnson and all these kind of 100-metre rivalries and that kind of stuff and the decathlon and all that. Was there, was there a rivalry in athletics that you loved seeing play out? Um, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot here now. I, didn't, I, never, I, I, I was only thinking about myself. <laughs> That's allowed. You have Olympic medals. I would be thinking about nothing else but myself if I had that. 
can we can we can we go back like to when I was younger? <laughs> well, actually, let, let's go back to your younger your younger days and the influence that your your dad had on you. You know, people may not know, but you know, John played as a, a goalkeeper for Cove Ramblers. Um, you know, how important was his influence on on you when you were starting to discover that you know you had a talent and you wanted to develop it? Um, well, you know, my dad, he was just always there to support me and encourage me and, you know, help me out with everything I was doing. He he really, you know, he was more in the background a lot of the time than people think, you know, he didn't, he didn't really say that much to me. A quiet Irish dad, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he had, you know, if he was put on the spot and put on a camera, he was well able to come out with something that, you know, people remember and appreciate. And I think, you know, the, the most famous one was in Atlanta, you know, when things didn't really work out. And, um, you know, he said, well, you know, nobody died and we'll all get up in the morning and uh, <laughs> and people still say that to me. They do, yeah. You know, li- li- <clears throat> life goes on, you know. I'm sure he's, you know, that's what hopefully he's probably saying that about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, he's a, he's, 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 he's a big Man United fan, my dad. And um, so I, I message him every now and then, and <laughs> when I when I see the results, you know, when you're when you're so far away, you're not always on top of it as much. Um, so I, I, I'm either annoying him or, uh, or making him smile, you know, depending on the result. But he won't be happy now. No, yeah. not, not you, the way things are. are. Not with the results, but maybe he'll be happy if someone's going to go in and uh, change things around a bit, you know? Yeah, I would imagine you're sending him that message quite a lot. Nobody died, you still get up in the morning. <laughs> Man United fans are getting quite a lot of that these days. <laughs> Kev, one of the things that I think you, you took even more seriously than your football career was dancing. So, like, uh, realistically, when you were on Dancing on Ice, on, on the TV, who, who was your biggest rival? Oh, that's a great one. That's a great one. Um, H from Steps. The ice. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the ice is a better one as well. Not, we, weren't, we weren't dancers. We weren't dancers. We were skaters, Dave. Come of on, you've got to get right. But my, it's, it's not my, called my, skating on ice, Kev. Yeah. My wife's a professional figure skater. She's not a dancer. That's she fair. Is. That is fair. That is fair. Oh, you got to slap across the face with, a, tell with you. an ice skate, I'd say. So, oh, H, 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 hang on. I'm going to go back to this. H from Steps was your biggest rival. Well, yeah, he, I mean, maybe my, maybe even Michael Barrymore. You know, he yeah. was, uh, he, his mo- his mum was from Belmullet as well. So uh, <laughs> before before the show started, we had a, we had a bit of rapport that we used to chat. Yeah, I think he has a place in Belmullet himself. So okay. we used to chat around him heading back over to Mayo and things like that. So um, it was great to hear one or two of his stories when he used to head back over there. Yeah, um, I, I presume you've seen a kid. the movie Blades of Glory, which is about uh, figures, figure skaters and rivalry, and it doesn't get much bigger. And better. Were there any of those things you watched to try and get some tricks that Will Ferrell might have shown you in that movie? Oh, well, do you know, I, I've just, um, there's a, a show on Netflix at the moment, I, I don't know if you've seen it, called Bad Sport. Um, yes. Where it's about, yeah, so the, did you see the figure skating one? I haven't seen that one, no. Two, two, the Canadian couple actually were cheated out by uh, by the Russians. The Russians were had paid off judges and things like this. And when you when you when I speak to Brianne, she tells me about the, the, the things that they did even as kids. You know, right. sabotaging each of the skates, trying to <laughs> unscrew them, stuff like this. Honestly, I mean, it's a whole different world when you think about it from from our sports. But those, I mean, some of those were like obviously 
unbelievably talented, but they would go to any length to try to, to try to stop an opponent winning. And that was with the blessing of the parents as well. I think the parents were the ones that were encouraging <laughs> yeah. to go and do that as well. What about that the there. movie that was made about the famous Olympic one? Uh, oh, yeah. Kerry, oh, uh, I, Tanya. I, Tanya. I, Tanya, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. there was base yeah. bats involved, baseball bats there involved, which was pretty horrific. And so. we all thought Vinnie Jones grabbing people's ghoulies in the penalty area was the worst that you could be. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> Listen, Kev and Sonia, thank you so much for joining us on Best of Frenemies today. It's amazing to get an insight into both of your careers and the rivalries that you had in there. So thanks so much for joining us uh, from so far across the world as well. Really appreciate it. Best of Frenemies with Dermot and Dave. You're listening to Dermot and Dave. This is Best of Frenemies and uh, time for our club classic section. Yeah, we take a look at the clubs around the country that are making the headlines for all the right reasons. And as much as it pains a Bohemians fan to say this, we must say that in Tallis Stadium, Shamrock Rovers were crowned SSC Airtricity League champions for the 19th time. And joining us to celebrate that fact is Mark Lynch, director of Shamrock Rovers. How are you, Mark? Oh, hey. Hi, you guys. <clears throat> Thanks for that. Um, hope, hope you're getting over it there, uh, Dave. Yeah, uh, we're, you know, when this came up, I was like, really, do we have to do this now? <laughs> when Shamrock Growers have just won, can we not do this at the start of the next season? <laughs> yeah, it was just the 26-point uh, gap, I think. Yeah. That's right. Didn't want to bring it up. But uh, in fairness, Rovers, look, I have to say, this season, there was only one team really going to mean. You know, Pats even finished 12 points behind you. you know, at what point did you guys feel like, you know, we've, we've got this? Um, yeah, well, look, it's, we, we came in, obviously, we've retained the league. So we came in into 2021 in, in very good form. We were unbeaten for quite some time. Um, uh, indeed, uh, uh, an Irish record unbeaten run uh, from uh, last year. So we, we we went into the league, you know, in a strong position, and you know, Pat's ran us close um, on occasion. Sligo were up there in the mix, um, and it, you know, one of the the regulars at the top of the table, Dundalk, slipped well down. So you know, it it sort of opened up for us, but we kept um, we kept our performance levels all through. We had a, a busy period in July and August uh, in Europe as well in the Europa Conference. Mm. Um, so you know there was a there was fighting on a on a number of fronts, and the team gelled uh, exceptionally well. We lost two big players uh, out of last year in Jack Bourne and Aaron McInef. Um but Danny Mandrew came in and um, you know filled in that midfield spot and. Team has just done done really well and um, very consistent. Yeah, the work the work rate is is just exceptional. Yeah, and that's what it has to be to win this league. It is a very tough league to win. I mean, you can even see if you look at the the goal scored league, you realise how how earned each goal is in order to win a game to get those points up. And as I said, as difficult as it is to say, Rovers were absolutely the best at that last season. Um, yeah. well, I mean, from the club's point of view, you mentioned the Europa Conference League. I mean. You know, you guys, you finished top three, top, you know, pretty much year on, year in, year out. I mean, is the aim now to, to con- continue that consistency, but then to push in and try and do better things in Europe? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the model. Um, <clears throat> like we, we kind of timed our run, uh, if you like, in terms of planning for 2021, which was, we knew three years previous was going to be the first year of the conference. Um, like, you know, we'd aspire to, to hire as well, like you know, but we'll certainly start with group stage conference, and that that's the ambition. And you know, the financial dividend on on achieving that is 
something we enjoyed in 2011, something Dundalk did twice uh, subsequently. Um, and that's what allows you to invest in, in the product, if you like. Um, and, and for us, our product is, is, our, is our first team um, and our academy structure. Mm. And, and that's what, you know, we've, we've put a hell of a lot of investment and time and tears and, and, and uh, effort into developing what is the, the leading academy in, in football academy in the country. And, and we're not finished there yet either. Um, so that continues to grow. Well, uh, sorry, uh, Mark and Dave, I just always wondered, you mentioned Europe there and the financial money, that the financial gains that that brings. And before we move on, you know, uh, you know as, as a more casual observer, I always wonder what, what in real terms does that money allow you to do and how does it work? Like, do you literally turn up for work someday and there's a there's a there's an extra lump sum in the bank account, and and how do you how do you go about allocating and spending, and what what in real terms does that money allow you to do? Yeah, well, I guess in some that nothing's guaranteed. So we got to a playoff uh, round this year, uh, um, and unfortunately, we're beaten by uh, Estonian team um, over two legs, which you know stopped us going on to the group stage, which. Probably was would have earned, depending on whether you win or draw games in the group stage, you know another uh, three million euro. Now, if if you put things in context, the price money for winning the League of Ireland is one hundred and ten thousand. Mm. So you know when you get into Europe, your starting level at the at the as champions is over eight hundred thousand. So you know that's that's the territory you move into. So it allows you, you know, a lot of that reward is. It's performance based to say if you don't, don't don't win you don't get it but equally the players the management people would be bonused on on it on those achievements so some of that reward would would go back into the squad management and the balance essentially goes into filling out all the other aspects of our football club yeah you mentioned the youth structure and uh, i'm an underage coach for port marnock afc for boys under 10s and girls you've probably under heard eights. of them <laughs> yeah i'm sure you've sure yeah. you got your guys have got their eyes on me i'm sure <laughs> um, but but it's funny you mentioned that because it, it is i mean when you get up to the higher echelons of even underage football at under 10s you see across the board in all of the, the top leagues under nine under 10 whatever Rovers are in there, and your academy, even at that age, is phenomenal. It's churning out absolutely brilliant footballers. Yeah, well, look, the Ireland goalkeeper is probably the most prominent mm. now, uh, Gavin Bazunu. He played in our first team, age 16, saved a penalty um, away to Cork, who were, you know, top of the table uh, uh, in, in that time, team 216. And uh, then went, went on to be signed by Man City, who knew what they, what they had in front of them. They, they, they have a plan for him. And uh, and to his tremendous credit, Kevin's just knocking it out of the park. Saving uh, penalties for Ireland now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Gavin, and he's a local lad from from Tala, and um, his brother's actually another goalkeeper in our academy. So good luck for Toddy's uh, got big boots to fill. But that's that's what we that's what we when we kind of did a strategic review of our overall setup. Uh, having won uh, the league in, ten years ago, we, we won it in 210 and 211. Now we've won it in 220 and 221, and we, we've we've seen what happened. And we got group stages in 211, and we've seen what happens when you do it uh, a certain way. As in, you know, you reach those, you reap those rewards, and you achieve those uh, targets. 
And then what? And we knew that, well, the then what bit has to be, well, what's coming after that? Mm. And that's where the whole uh, review um, brought us to building from the ground up and building, literally building a, a structure, uh, an infrastructure in, in, in a Roadstone Sports Club in, uh, in, in Kingswood, which is just off the, the nice road um, after Newlands Cross. That's our base now. That's the base for our we play our matches in Tallis Stadium, which is a fantastic venue, best in the country at, at league level. Um, and we have put all, pretty much all our all the rest of our efforts into the uh, physical infrastructure at Roadstone, as well as coaches um, and obviously the boys themselves. One of the more recent uh, developments that we've put in place uh, that Gavin actually was part of in his time. So it goes back a few years, but we've We've added to it each year is where we have a partnership with Ashfield College. So those young players can become professionals once they're over, over 16 and they become part of an infrastructure to basically allow them to continue their education and train mm. like full-time player. Yeah. So that's, you know, the FAI have, have mentioned um, and have planned for that as well in, in their own infrastructure. But, you know, we set out to do it ourselves five years ago now and and that's you know that's at the bedrock of of, of the success is yeah. the development of that well, it's obviously paying off, as you said. I mean, it's great to see uh, clubs doing the right thing and the you know and ha- leading by example. I mean, and I hope next season when you finish second to Bowles, uh, you'll be just as uh, equally happy. <laughs> he, he doesn't look worried at all, Dave. <laughs> no, it's uh, it is. Look, we those games have developed into uh, into uh, feisty enough encounters, and uh, I'll say, and it is you know it's that type of thing. And I know Dermot, you said a casual observer. It's it is that type of game that that pulls in the neutrals, that pulls in the casual observer who who actually goes along and is completely taken aback by the atmosphere, by the quality of football uh, generally, um, but certainly by the whole match day uh, event and and the passion. And uh, that, you know, you, you, you can't get that, I'm afraid, from Sky Sports at half four on a Sunday. You have to experience you it. You have to real. be there. Yeah. Uh, well, it's like yourselves when you're performing. There's nothing like performing live. So, so when you can go and see teams playing good football in a good facility, um, and if you are a fan of the game, you're going to enjoy it. 100%. Okay, Mark Lynch, director of Shamrock Rovers, thanks so much for joining us today. Okay, thanks, guys. Best of Frenemies with Dermot and Dave. With thanks to Heineken, proud sponsor of Heineken Champions Cup and official partner to UEFA Champions League. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie. It's Best of Frenemies with Dermot and David. Thanks to Heineken, the podcast that explores the fun side of sporting rivalries throughout the years. And now it's time to find out who knows their sport. Absolutely. We're going to bring you opposing fans for a competition with a twist. You must answer five questions on the opposing team to find who is the best frenemy of this week. And first up on the line, we have a Liverpool fan. It's Niall Burke from Kildare. Hey, Niall. Hey, Zag. Grant, what's your favourite Liverpool jersey of all time, Niall? It's the newest away one. 
Oh my god, are you serious? That's so good. Five nil victory. <laughs> that beige. I actually, I actually, I only got it today. I Did only you? got it in the post today, so you know. <laughs> so this is Dave, the Man United fan, saying that someone has an ugly away jersey. Let let the zebra never be forgotten. Dave. I know. I was just about to say, Listen, walking around like a zebra. No, I still wear the zebra with pride. And John Feeland, your rival today, is a Man United fan from Kilkenny. John, how are you? Good, Dave. How are you? Good. You'd wear that zebra shirt with pride, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Cars keep stopping every time you walk out in the road. <laughs> Listen, lads, this quiz, as Dermot said, is a bit of an upside-down quiz where, John, you're going to answer questions about Liverpool and, Niall, you're going to answer questions about Man United. And it's worth getting the questions about your rival right because the prize we have on offer is amazing. It is a 65-inch flat-screen HD TV and a €100 Euro voucher to get your favourite takeaway in for the game. Uh, we'd have all you all set to enjoy this year's UEFA Champions League. It's all thanks to Heineken, of course, proud sponsor of Heineken Champions Cup and UEFA Champions League. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie. John, we're going to ask you Liverpool questions. You ready to go? Okay, Dave, go ahead. All right, here we go. Number one, when was Liverpool FC founded? What year? Oh, God. Um, let me see. It was... Three, two, one. Pick a year. Have a guess. 1892. Oh my God! <laughs> wow, you just so Google that, you chancery. You're not giving that. No way. <laughs> it was year 1894, 1892. I was <laughs> I John got the answer right. Got to give it to. Him. Okay, Goosen, your answer has to be quick. Number yeah. two. Who did oh, Liverpool okay. beat in the 2005 European Cup final? Um, East Milan. God, yeah. Yes. Terrible, terrible oh, day. Maybe you didn't Google the first one. When did Liverpool <laughs> win their first FA Cup? What year? Gosh, uh, 1964. Oh, 1965. Oh, Who scored oh, Liverpool's man. only goal in the 1978 European Cup final? Um, Trevor... Oh, 1978. Need an answer? Trevor McDonald. Trevor McDonald, no. It was Kenny Dalglish. Hey, Kenny. And finally, who is Liverpool's record transfer signing? Um, is it Alisson? It's not. It's Virgil van Dijk. No, Alisson oh, is a friend man. of ours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that gives you two out of five, which, to be honest with you, if I was answering questions about Liverpool, I'd be pretty happy if I got that right. Okay, okay. Niall, here are your questions about Man United. Are you ready, Niall? Let's go. Let's do it. Which player is affectionately known as the king to Manchester United fans? Eric Cantona. That is correct. We may have also accepted Dennis Law, if you were of a, an, an elder generation. <laughs> uh, which two players were suspended for Manchester United's 1999 Champions League final triumph? Scholes and Roy Keane. Correct. Manchester United broke their record transfer fee in 2016 when they paid £89.5 million for which player? Pogba. Yes, what a waste of money that was. Hey! <laughs> Who scored the winning goal for Manchester United in their 2-1 Champions League final victory in 99? Solskjaer. Correct. And just for the crack, which player holds the distinction of being Manchester United's longest-serving captain? 
Bobby Charlton? No, uh, Mr. Brian Robson. 12 years, he was captain. Four out of five. You're the winner, Niall. Yes. Yes. Hard luck, John. The questions didn't suit you, as they say. I'm a questionable Liverpool fan. (laughs) (laughs) You are. You've you've actually lost some Liverpool credentials, but you have won yourself a 65-inch flat-screen HDTV and a 100-euro voucher. Hey! So I love that. Thanks. All right, Niall and John, fair play to you. Thanks a million. Congratulations, Niall. All the best. See you later. Enjoy that. That was all thanks to Heineken, proud sponsor of Heineken Champions Cup and UEFA Champions League. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie. Right, that is Best of Frenemies with Dermot and Dave. With thanks to Heineken. Thank you to our wonderful guests this week, Sonia O'Sullivan and Kevin Kilban. I'm Mr. Mark Lynch, director of Shamrock Rovers Football Club. Time. Best of Frenemies with Dermot and Dave. It's all with thanks to Heineken, proud sponsor of Heineken Champions Cup and official partner to UEFA Champions League. Enjoy Heineken responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Today FM.